Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And I'm Bill Newman. And I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And we start today's show with a fish wrap, a sad story from the front page of the Daily Hampshire Gazette. So it may be tomorrow's fish wrap, but this is a story that obviously will continue to be covered by the local media. It's a story of a student at Northampton High School who committed suicide. The story is back in the media today because a lawsuit has been filed on her behalf by her estate against various individuals and the school department in the city. It is a lawsuit that asks for uh, not only damages for the uh, pain and suffering and loss and uh, loss of companionship, but exemplary damages and punitive damages against the school system. The fundamental underlying claim as reported in the Gazette is one of bullying that the school system allegedly did not take adequate steps to prevent and to stop. It is, for me, reminiscent of the Phoebe Prince case in South Hadley, which preceded this suicide by about 10 years. This death occurred some almost three years ago. Phoebe Prince was about 13 years ago. Phoebe Prince was the nationals, was a national story out of South Hadley, uh, uh, one of the first nationally prominent cases of a suicide of a high school student on account of allegedly of, on account of bullying. There was a settlement in that case ultimately by the South Hadley School Department, and I represented the reporter, Emily Bazelon, who has, of course, received enormous accolades for her reporting both before and since then. And the South Hadley School Department had refused Emily Bazelon's request, their public information request for the information regarding the amount of the settlement. And it was my great honor to represent uh, Emily Bazelon, the reporter, uh, in that lawsuit. Uh, seeking that information from the South Hadley School Department. We received a judgment from the Superior Court in Hampshire County and ultimately, well, not ultimately, the, the, the information was in fact revealed uh, relatively quickly after we filed the lawsuit. We received a preliminary injunction and the school department re revealed the $225,000 settlement. Uh, money, of course, is in some ways besides the point here. There's been a death, a tragic death of a young person, and the allegations either will or will not be proven. But for a death of a high school student, for a young person, just so difficult to read about, so hard to contemplate. I, I, my thoughts uh, are with the family, but they just really are not adequate words. A young person uh, uh, taking their own life, and sadly, it happens frequently around the country. Uh, there are substantial laws in Massachusetts to try to prevent bullying in schools, to try to prevent this sort of this sort of tragedy. But there obviously are large gaps in the services we provide, and here we are with a story and a suicide of a young person in high school. Buzz, you have any thoughts you want to share? Well. Uh... As I, I can't be more eloquent about the sadness that's involved in reading about uh, a teenager's 
suicide. I think that folks know that the largest cause of death for people, uh, for teenagers, I uh, can't remember, I think up to the age of 24 is suicide. Um, I'm not sure about that age, but it, it, uh, it is the largest cause of death. I, I think what's really tragic here when you read about it, and I, I don't really have a social comment to make about it, but the family articulates in their papers, their lawsuit, that uh, this question of why it is that the, the girl couldn't go to school because the bulliers remained in school. And uh, that the irony of that does not escape the family. And the tragedy of that is that the people that actually allegedly savagely beat her at one point, according to uh, this article by James Pentland, um, that's on the front page of today's Daily Hampshire Gazette, uh, the, the beaters remain in school and the victim of the beatings and bullying doesn't go back to school. That that's the solution to the, to the uh, conflict that is happening between her and her bullies, um, if the allegations are true. Uh, and I understand for the family, that's an incomprehensible, how could that be, that the wrongdoers remain in school and I can't go as a victim? Yeah, we should point out that every school system is required to have a protocol and a plan with regard to bullying. It has to be filed with the State Department of Education. My understanding is it has to be updated every year and it's not discretionary it's a requirement of every school system so uh how this happens in light of that perhaps this lawsuit will shine some light on that question the lawsuit itself alleges according to the report in the daily hampshire gazette that the school did not in fact northampton school department did in fact not in fact did not follow its own protocols of course these are allegations um, the proof is yet to be uh, shown in court or in court papers. Uh, it's a story we will follow. It's a really sad story. We're really sorry we have to report it. And it's as important as it is sad. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back right after this with more of Talk the Talk. graphic memoir, Fun Home, left off the page and onto the Broadway stage. Allison describes her landmark comic strip, Dykes to Watch Out For, as half op-ed column, half serialized Victorian novel. Allison Bechdel will be at Smith Thursday, March 2nd, reading from her new graphic memoir, The Secret to Superhuman Strength, and more. Allison Bechdel, a reading, plus a book signing with the Broadside Bookshop, Thursday, March 2nd, at John M. Green Hall at Smith College. It's free. Get tickets online at Smith College Tickets. Push! Push! Come on! One more! Let's go! 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 Is this your idea of personal training? If so, you've got it all wrong. Or perhaps we've got it all right at Fitness Together, where we meet you where you are to get you where you want to be. Fitness Together trainers help you reach your goal at any fitness level, even despite ailments and physical limitations. So don't let a misconception keep you from having the energy to do what you love. Learn how you can get it together at Fitness Together Amherst or Northampton. Picture perfect days here in the Valley, and there's not a better place to celebrate those perfect days than at the Bridgeside Grill in Sunderland. The Bridgeside Grill has undergone a stunning transformation and expansion, and now it's time to revisit one of your favorite spots in the Valley. Check out the new and expanded bar area and dine by the warm and cozy fire. The Bridgeside Grill is open Tuesday through Thursday starting at noon, Friday and Saturday starting at 8, and don't forget Sunday brunch from 8 to 2. The Bridgeside Grill, right in the heart of downtown Sunderland. 
Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster, Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2, only on WHMP. Brought to you by Business West. The vital business news in Western Mass is in Business West. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Well, it is time for our monthly segment, Sex Matters, with our show's resident sexologist, Dr. Jane Fleischman, who couldn't wait to get to the microphone, and hence the enthusiastic. <laughs> Want us to make that noise again, Jane? Woohoo! We got a lot of those. Okay, ter <laughs> terrific. Okay, so uh, I should share with our listeners that it is often a surprise to me what we're going to end up talking <laughs> about and what we do end up talking about on this segment with Dr. Fleischman. So, well, share with us, Jane, what will we be talking about this morning? Hopefully not a quiz, which I usually don't do very well on. But anyway, what do you have for us? Actually, I'm going to give you a break from a quiz today, Bill. But I just want to say thanks, Bill. And nice to see you, Buzz. Nice and to Dan, see nice you, to Jane. See you. And I'm so excited that um, Dan found Delta Dawn by Tanya Tucker. I just saw the biopic last night on a plane. You know, it's, you know how there's like plane food? It's not as good as regular food. There's plain films that might not be as good as regular films, but I thought this was a great film. And she was really, an, uh, you know, a forgotten legend who was a bad girl. And she got into some trouble, and, you know, the media picked up on it, the Inquirer picked up on it, and Brandy Carlisle kind of brought her back. It seems to be what Brandy Carlisle is doing these days. it's so cool. So in 2019, she helped her get a Grammy, first time. So Who anyway, was Delta Dawn, by the way? Delta, I have no idea. Well, okay. <laughs> you'll, you'll find that out. Um, but I thought today would be a really good uh, opportunity for us to talk about something that I really care about, and that is self-love. So, Buzz, there's some words that Bill and I have shared many times, words like orgasm and masturbation. So if Buzz starts getting red in the face, Bill, this will be really fun. So Yeah, I can, I can hardly wait. <laughs> so... Sometimes people think about self-love as like sort of a stand-in for a relationship. But, you know, if you're single or you're in a relationship, you might still be wanting to have more sexual good feelings, whether you're alone or with someone or with a few people. And so I thought, why don't we begin with who we are rather than who they are or who they aren't? And so wherever you are, um, I wanted to talk today about some real basic stuff about us and our bodies. So, you guys with me? Well, I'm with you. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm done. Bill Marcin, I'm not with her. <laughs> Bill pleads the fifth. <laughs> Bill, Bill, what's really cool today is that it's not a quiz, so you could ask me a million questions, and, and maybe you could try to embarrass me. It may not work, but you could try. That'd be fun. <laughs> okay, let's start with this one. When we had this segment, we thought about it years ago now. Yeah. Jane has been a re regular on the show for a long time now, yeah. Sex Matters with Dr. Jane Fleischman. What were we thinking? What were you thinking? Well, also, Bill, <laughs> the first the first thing that you called the segment was Sex with Jane. And I thought, no, 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 no. That's not good, Bill. Not good. You know? 
I've been married to Joan for a long time. She wouldn't be happy with that. (laughs) (laughs) It it felt a little bit like you were my pimp at that point. (laughs) All right, moving right along. Let's move back to self-love, can we? So, And it's the first part of a five-part course, actually, that I just created. So um, you get to try it out with me here today. So you're probably wondering how you're going to get from where you are today to where you want to be sexually if you have feelings that maybe it's not as good as it could be or you want it to be. So I've got 10 tips. Okay, ready? And these are all tips that you, Bill Newman, and you, Buzz, could... Wait, Buzz, what's your last name? Eisenberg. I thought it was Aldrich, but anyway. Okay, Buzz Eisenberg. (laughs) You, too, could incorporate all of this (laughs) self-love into your own lives. So 10 of them... As in uh, David Letterman, we're going to start with tip number 10. I want you to begin a practice that many people are already doing, but I wanted you to do it intentionally. I want you to start a practice of sexual pleasuring for yourself every day. Now, it could be right when you wake up, or if that's too crazy and you need some caffeine or your medications to get a little hit for the day, try building in some time in your day just like you've built in time to go for a walk or go to the gym or get some exercise or, you know, a card game or something like that. Or maybe a meal. Okay, I'm, I'll stop. But you understand, building time in to really kind of get yourself intentionally to a place of loving your own body is an amazing thing. So, you know, just like I get unbelievable amount of articles in my inbox about building your brain health and your physical health and your financial health. Why is there so little attention paid really to loving your body and feeling healthy in your own body? I just remember Billy Crystal talking about in (laughs) high school, in his wallet, he had a beautiful picture of his right hand. (laughs) Okay, there you go. Okay, Bill, this is a really different kind of a show, isn't it? This is really talking the talk, isn't it? On the other hand, you got to give it to Buzz. He kind of got it without too much prompting. <laughs> On the other hand, very good, Bill. <laughs> so, and I'm talking about really loving your body, you know, building in a little time with yourself. And by that, I don't mean you need an hour, although, you know, that'd be wonderful too. But if you have orgasms easily on your own, either with manual, you know, Billy Crystal's right hand, or with a vibrator or another sex toy, make an orgasm date with yourself. You know, Adrienne Marie Brown, who wrote that very cool book, uh, Emergent Pleasure, she encourages her readers to have an orgasm before each chapter of the book that they read. So I'd like to ask you to do the same before each time I'm here on the show, Bill. I want you to make a can date go, with yourself. Can we go on to point? Can we go on to point number nine? Okay, okay, okay. okay. We're back to sex with Jane. <laughs> well, remember, this is really about loving your own body because that's where it's got to yeah, begin. It's really got to. And for our listeners, and for our listeners who are just joining us, we should point out this is actually uh, quite seriously "Sex Matters" with Dr. Jane Fleischman, which is a segment we do do every month. We actually do it towards the end of the uh, hour, uh, but scheduling ended up being kind of off today so jane is here earlier can we go on to point number nine tip tip number nine thank you bill okay if an orgasm isn't available to you right now have no fear make a date to just touch your body in a way that feels good and instead of casting any aspersions on your body like 
when you wake up each morning, I don't know about you, do you guys have this? I wake up and I think, oh, my hip hurts. Oh, my foot hurts. You know, I have all these things now as I'm getting older. Instead of doing that, what I do, and I'd really encourage your listeners to do this, is to think about the body part that hurts, that doesn't feel good. Maybe you've got a little arthritis. Maybe you've got a little tennis elbow, whatever it is. And fill in the blank. I love my fill in the blank with that part of my body. So for me, it's I love my hip. I love my foot. There's ways that that can sometimes get inside us a little bit and change the narrative that we have about the parts of our body we have trouble with. Because, you know, if you have some kind of chronic pain, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't get better necessarily by saying something like this, but just sending that part of your body a little bit of love as you get up could be an antidote to the negativity we place on the body parts that hurt. Uh, okay. Oh, number eight. Tip number eight. Ready? As we age, we get into routines. Bill knows a lot about this. We call them ruts. Ruts are good, right? You know, they help us find our keys. They help us get things done. But ruts sexually can be really kind of like putting us back in a place where we're not really loving ourselves. So what I'd suggest, if if you usually get off on like, um, you know, uh, masturbating to an orgasm, don't do it that time. Maybe find a way to just stop short of that and notice what's happening in your body. Where are you? What does it feel like? Do you want more? Do you feel like you're done? Are you fulfilled? Are you thinking about what else you can try? These are the questions I'd love you to reflect on as you change your rut. Now, Buzz, you're looking at me like maybe I'm going over time. Should I stop here and we take a break? Or no, 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 no. Buzz we're is glaring. Great. I'm, lear- I'm loving Buzz myself. Glaring at me. He's glaring at me, no, but I don't no. like that. Okay. No, that, okay, ho- hold on a minute. I'm angry at my eyes. Eyes, I love you. Oh, good, good. Okay. Eyes, I love you. Okay, tip number seven. If you're in a private space, not here today, Bill, you can do this when you're in a private space. I want you to go up to a mirror, and this can be very scary. Some people won't even look in a mirror. I spent years in high school never looking at the, in the mirror because I didn't like my body. Now I'm in my late 60s. Life is good. I love my body, but I've been working on this for a long time. So first, with your clothes on, Bill, don't take your clothes off yet. I know, you know, this is exciting. But look in the mirror and notice what you see, right? What's hidden? What's exposed? What parts of your body do you not like people to see so you wear clothes that might hide that? What parts do you like that you kind of want to expose a little bit more? What looks good to you and what doesn't look good? And now I'd like you to do something different. And this is really scary. I'd like you to... Maybe dim the lights because, you know, these fluorescent lights in the studio here would be really awful to all of our bodies. And if you're at home, dim the lights, take off your clothes, and look in the mirror again. And now what do you see? And look in front, look behind. And, you know, um, Emma Thompson did a wonderful job looking at her body at the end of a film last summer called Good Luck to You, Leo Grande. It was about an older woman who had never achieved an orgasm. She hired a guy to be a sex worker, to help her. It, and it really did it's a great. It's a great movie. Isn't it a good I mean, film? It, it, yeah. yeah. And, and, and it's an amazing acting job by all of the actors. All, even, and, and even, no. even the younger guy who was so, you know, there was so much compassion he had for her, too. Anyway, I felt like when she looked at herself in the mirror at the end of that film, she saw herself with some real self-love. So I want you to try that. That's a little activity I'd like you to do on your own, okay? Not here. Um, tip number six. 
instead of focusing on all the rolls and the folds and the sags and the bags and the discolorations and the stuff you don't like and the hair loss or the hair gain or whatever it is, I want you to focus on a part of your body that you've always liked, some part that you've always been proud of. And I want you to offer some thanks to that part of your body. Maybe it's your hair. Maybe it's your belly, your thighs, your pubic hair, even if it might not be the same bush as it once was. Don't forget to look behind you. Because maybe it's your butt or your glutes. Maybe you've been working out and you feel really good about some muscle somewhere that you didn't know that you had. Now you can flex. And now think of what that body of yours has been through. All the times you've put it to a test, all the times that you've had trouble, and all the times you've created something special with it. You mean I, th- I should think of what used to be a six-pack and is now a keg? Okay, okay. And that keg might be the part of your body you really want to send some love to. So send some love and some warmth to it. Uh, tip number. What, num- what number are we on? We're are almost we there. We're almost there. <laughs> Bill, we're about, we we're about halfway done. Please. We're about halfway done. Bill, you're doing so well. You really are. So tip number five. Now what I want you to do is I want you to touch. I want you to touch that part of your body. With All right, hands. we're going to go to okay. step number four. Now. <laughs> we're done now. <laughs> okay. We're right along here, Jane. Okay, moving along. But, <laughs> but see what happens and love that part of your body. Because the next time you look in the mirror, I want you to notice how it feels. Right? It might be different. All right, tip number four. You ready, Bill? Instead no, of, probably not. But go on, well, please. This is a little, this is a little, um, this is a little, I don't know, magic trick that I thought of. You know, my grandpa was a magician. And he was a crazy magician. I mean, he was like a nutty guy. He would put a scarf down a woman's um, no, uh, blouse no, no, and then no, he'd no. pull out her bra. <laughs> you know, he was, a ta- he, was, he was a very tacky a magician. magician. But this is a little magic trick that I thought of. Instead of asking, so Buzz, if you and I were, you know, uh, living together and I put on this outfit and I say to you, how do I look? Instead of saying, how do I look? And often you feel a little bit like, uh-oh, what's the right answer here? Do I say what I really mean? Or... Should I tell them the truth? Instead of asking someone, how do I look, and feeling a little bit less than, try saying, how do I look, meaning, how am I seeing my own body and the rest of the world? How do I look? What do I see? Mm. Sort of a you know, John Berger kind of idea. right? And so, so that might be a way for us to get rid of the shame, some of the guilt, some of the blame, some of the real judgmental feelings we have about our bodies. Back to Billy Crystal, you look marvelous. You look marvelous, darling. And, you know, I'll have what she's having. So, right. yes. Um, tip number three. My focus is here, right here, around self-love, is to provide a new way for you to begin to feel more sexually alive in your body, starting with the body we have now, and finding as much love for it as we can. Tip number two, you got to read Peggy Kleinplatz's book. She's an amazing um, sexologist, a sexuality researcher up in Canada, and she talks about optimal sex and aging. It's very interesting. And she says that how you feel about your body as you age is so important. So you could try out some of her ideas. She works with people in the kink community, in the BDSM community, and she has a lot of interesting ideas about how to take those ideas and bring them to wherever you are on a sexuality uh, perspective. And I would say, if you could try some of the ideas from her research, it might be a total game changer for you. One minute left. Okay. Oh, no. Okay. We want to hear number one. Now, 
One. Drum, drum rolls, rim shots. Here we come. If you can do all that, all of that, Bill, my hope for you is that you could get into some really good angelic troublemaking. You remember Bayard Rustin, an amazing, amazing man who helped Martin Luther King, you know, he's the, the architect of the 1963 Civil Rights March. He was a black gay communist who couldn't really come out about being the sexual being that he was because he was afraid of splitting the movement. But he talked about this idea of angelic troublemaking, and I love that. So Bill and Buzz, you could create some angelic troublemaking by loving your own bodies as we continue to go through our lives and be grateful for those years we've spent until that time that you are in right now. The good work you've done, the lives you've touched, the body parts you've touched, the struggles you've been through, now is your time to reap all those benefits. Bill, I, uh, we've been here in the studio with Dr. Uh, Jane Fleischman. I need a cigarette after that <laughs> encounter. That's exciting. <laughs> so, how was it for you, Buzz? <laughs> it was great for me, doctor. <laughs> hey, this is what I like to hear. This is good. <laughs> and you have been listening, indeed, to Sex Matters with our show's resident sexologist, Dr. Jane Fleischman, who is with us every month. Thank you, Dr. Jane. Thank you, Bill. Wonderful oh, I'm loving my body. <laughs> All right, Buzz, you did good. <laughs> we'll be right back. Here today to take you to his mansion in the sky. She's 41 and her daddy still calls her baby. All the folks round More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The mother of a Northampton teen is suing the city for $2.5 million in a wrongful death suit. The mother, who is identified in court documents as Jane Doe, said her daughter was bullied, which caused her to take her own life in 2020. Attorney Laura Mangini tells Western Mass News the girl was subject to two years of pervasive and constant bullying with a student at Northampton High School. The lawsuit alleges the city of Northampton intentionally misclassified it as peer-on-peer conflict, which has a lesser level of necessary response than what it actually was, bullying. In September 2019, the girl was physically assaulted by two students, and the fight was videotaped and sent across social media. Mangini said that in light of the case, her team hopes to see changes in Northampton schools and to hold people accountable. The Coca-Cola bottling plant in Northampton that was previously expected to close this spring will now close at the end of this year. In August 2021, Coca-Cola announced it would be closing the bottling plant that has been under the Coca-Cola name for decades. Former Mayor David Narkowitz said the business was the city's largest manufacturer, water customer, and taxpayer. A spokesperson for the company tells 22 News they have communicated with their employees and will be offering severance. The Center for Human Development will receive a $3 million tax-exempt bond from Mass Development. The nonprofit agency offers programs and services throughout Western Mass. CHD expects to create 250 full-time jobs and 100 part-time jobs in the next three years with these projects. Sunshine this morning, clouds this afternoon. Snow arrives after 4 p.m., a high of 38 to 42. Snow mixes with and changes over to sleet and freezing rain tonight. It'll be an icy Thursday morning commute with scattered mixed showers, a high of 34 to 38. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rochebeca con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. 
El presidente Joe Biden recorrió el centro de Kiev en una visita no anunciada el lunes y prometió apoyar a Ucrania todo el tiempo que sea necesario en un viaje programado para eclipsar al Kremlin antes del primer aniversario de la invasión de Rusia. Cuando el presidente ruso Vladimir Putin lanzó su invasión hace casi un año, pensó que Ucrania era débil y que Occidente estaba dividido. Pensó que podría sobrevivirnos, pero estaba completamente equivocado, dijo Biden. Los tanques rusos calcinados se alzan como símbolo del asalto fallido de Moscú a la capital al comienzo de su invasión que comenzó el 24 de febrero. Sus fuerzas alcanzaron rápidamente las murallas de Kiev solo para ser rechazadas por una resistencia inesperadamente feroz. Por su parte, Rusia dice que ha anexado casi una quinta parte de Ucrania, mientras que Occidente ha prometido decenas de miles de millones de dólares en ayuda militar a Kiev. En otras informaciones, el Consejo Municipal de Northampton votó a favor de formar una comisión para estudiar la posibilidad de reparaciones para los residentes, trabajadores y estudiantes negros. La medida sigue a una acción similar en Amherst y Boston. En una resolución, el Consejo Municipal de Northampton se disculpó por decisiones pasadas que, según dijo, arraigaron la segregación y la discriminación en áreas como la vivienda y las licencias. El Consejo Municipal también votó para crear una comisión para estudiar qué iniciativas deberían financiarse para reparar esos daños y nutrir a la comunidad y la cultura negras. El concejal de la ciudad, Gary Perry, quien copatrocinó la resolución, dijo que ahora trabajará con la oficina de la alcaldesa y otros concejales para presentar una especie de esquema de cuál será el cargo de la comisión y un cronograma, así como cuál será la composición de la comisión. Perry dijo que planea tener el esquema listo para el 30 de marzo. Yo soy Johan Rashivega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Hollywood Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Talk the Talk. And this is our segment with our own Emmy Award-winning filmmaker, Larry Hot. Cool films with Larry Hot. Larry's been with us almost every week as we approach the Academy Awards presentations on, I believe, March 12th. And Larry has been giving us his insight and reviews of films so that we can watch the Academy Awards and know what the films are. And he's given us some really good recommendations. I just really have been thrilled with watching the films that you have liked. And I really appreciated your critiques and criticisms of some of them. So, Larry Hot, what do you have for us today? Uh, good morning, Bill and Buzz and Dan. Well, I'm gonna do something a little different today because we usually at this time of year talk about the films that have been nominated for both the short and long form documentaries. But there were two that were left off the list and I really feel that that was a disservice to, to me because I worked hard looking at all these films and I wanted these films nominated and they weren't. Uh, they were uh, not even on the short list. And that gives you an idea of just how arbitrary the whole system is. The Academy Awards in general is just another festival. There's the Telluride Festival, there's the Sundance Festival, there's the Tribeca Festival, on and on and on. And for documentarians, the most important festivals in terms of judgment by your peers is not the Academy Awards. It's lots of other festivals and they carry more weight. And if you're, for example, trying to get money and funding It's just as important to have an award from some of these other festivals, say the DuPont Award or the Peabody Award, as it is the Academy Award. But the Academy Award's the one that the public knows about. So sometimes it's a little upsetting that some of the more interesting films don't even make it to the top 15. And I want to talk about one of those today. 
Um, Could you stop right there, Larry, yeah. for one second? Sure. You talked about short form and long form. I want to know what that is for those of our listeners who have not heard this discussion before. And I would like to know what you mean by the top 15. Okay. So short and long form, not very complicated. Short films are short films. Uh, they are 39 minutes and under. And long form is anything more than 39 minutes. Really, what that means as for a featured documentary is at least an hour, but I haven't seen an hour film in the long form competition for many, many, many years. It's a, they're usually 90 minutes or two hours. Um, that's a lot of work to watch these films. There's a committee of about four or 500 documentary filmmakers who are members of the Academy. And we, it's a virtual committee. We don't ever meet, but we're assigned certain films. We watch them and then they assign us more films. And in any given year, I watch say 60 long form films and another 30 or 40 short forms, the 39 minutes and under. Those 39 minutes and under, however, they can go down to as little as six minutes. Uh, one, of the, uh, one of the best films this year, Haul Out, which is, was nominated, uh, is a 29 minute film, but I have seen films nominated there that are 13 minutes and one as well. But that doesn't happen in the long form. Uh, usually the equation, <coughs> excuse me, the equation is if it's long, it's more serious and more important, which actually, for me, as somebody who's reviewing it, long sometimes mean four sessions of viewing it because it's really hard to get through watching documentary after documentary after documentary. But one of the ones, excuse me, that I really liked this year and never made it, excuse me, <clears throat> to the top list was called Lowndes County and the Road to Black Power. Now, before I talk about this film, uh, I just want to say something about the the kind of films that got nominated this year. I did a little calculation last night of looking at the top 15, the short list. So what happens is the members of the documentary committee, we vote this ranked choice voting and they come up with the top 15 and then everybody gets to see those and then we vote again and they come up with the top five. And those are the nominations that the public hears about. So I looked at the top 15 short and long form to see what topics were coming up. And this year, interestingly, on the long form, the top 15, there were only two films that were about race issues, either the history or the politics around race. On the short films, there were six of those. There were two films in the long form about the environment, and you would think there'd be a lot more considering what's going on with climate change. Social issue films broadly defined, there were six. There was only one film about authoritarianism, which is on the rise around the world. So that surprised me, only one. There were two music bios, one love story, and one pure political history. Those are on the long form. At the short form, there were six films about racism, one film about authoritarianism, one political history film, three environmental films, and four social issue films. Altogether, if you look at that, it's basically, if you just say they're all, every, almost everything is social issue, <laughs> that's what documentaries generally are. And you need to throw in some biopics as well. But I just thought it was interesting that in all that's going on in our country, the long-form documentaries that rose to the top were not, the majority of them, by far, were not about racial issues. So one of the films that got left out is this one I brought today to talk about. It's Lowndes County and the Road to Black Power. May I just squeeze yeah. a question in here, Larry? Yeah. Um, when you are evaluating these films, mm -hmm. do you have like a format to to grade them? And does the content, what they're talking about, the, the topic itself, 
Is that going to, in large part, determine whether or not you vote for a film or not? Yes and no. So in terms of whether we have a grid, we get a, a letter every year that says, using your professional judgment, <laughs> score these films in any way you want. That's mm, it. That's it. It's, a, it's almost, that's almost word for word what it says. I have been very aware through my entire career how the content of a film affects the way people think about it. So I, my little equation for this is films either rise above or fall below the level of the subject matter, and sometimes they just hit it on the nose. Mm. So for a long time, the documentary winners or nominees were films about the Holocaust. And there's a reason that that, that stopped. But you can imagine just in terms of when people became more aware of their Holocaust, it was a long time people didn't talk about it. And then about 1970, 75, uh, as we became aware of the, the survivors starting to die off, there were many, many more films. Uh, that subject is so heavy that if it, was, if it was well told at all, those films rose to the level and got nominated. And it was kind of a joke around the, the documentary community that if your film was nominated but it wasn't about the Holocaust, you were not going to get the Oscar. Mm. Right? Uh, filmmakers uh, began to resent not the, the question of whether the films were about the Holocaust or not. They came to resent the idea that the content of the film was more important than the quality of the filmmaking. So as a judge, I'm always conscious of looking at, all right, did they do a good job? All right, is the writing good? Is the filming good? Is the editing good? You know, that, uh, all as a package, does it come across? Even is the music good? I've seen many films that were wonderful if they had, and it would have made it much higher in the, in the judging if only the music had not been trite and expected, right? Then the film I just made, I worked really hard finding a composer who would do something that was not what you thought would, you would, would accompany the, the pictures, but still had to work. So this is, it's very hard to be honest as a judge, and then you get down to the end. And the reason I just read you the list of topics was because sometimes the judges feel, or people, just human nature, I'd like to see people hear more about this subject rather than what was the best film. Mm -hmm. Of course, and other things that enter into it is whether you know the filmmaker or not. So, you know, do you recuse yourself at all? So this film I, I brought with me today is one of the ones I thought that fell through the cracks, should have gotten more notice. Uh, it is about Lowndes County, Alabama, 1960s. It's one of those inflection points in the civil rights movement. It's incredibly important. Most people, if you say Lowndes County, they don't know about it, but they do know about the people who were involved in it, like Stokely Carmichael, for example. Let's hear a clip from this film. If you want to go back and understand why we're having these conversations about reparations, why the racial wealth gap exists, you can do no better than looking back at Lowndes County. Lowndes County was one of the poorest counties in the country. It was 80% African-American, and in 1965, there were no black people registered to vote in Lowndes County, Alabama. It was a dangerous time. People were followed. People could lose their jobs. A lot of black people came up missing. That's why it's called Blood Lounge. It is called that because of the absolute unrelenting violence if you're trying to register to vote. They were literally putting their lives on the line. And they still organize, and still they try and vote. We wanted a movement that would survive the loss of our lives. The strength will come from the work together. 
We weren't just interested in the vote. We were interested in changing who ran the county. In Alabama, you could have an independent party. So Lowndes County was known as Bloodlounds. One of the things I learned from this film is where the Black Panther idea came from. Because the white people in the town, the politicians there, had adopted a white rooster as their symbol. Right, it's sort of a clannish symbol. So when the black leaders came in, they said, we need a symbol. And they said, well, let's use something powerful. And they came up with the Black Panther. But this, the ironies in this film are legion. And one of them is that the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee comes in to organize for voting rights in Lowndes County. But it is such a violent place that the black people there who have been organizing feel that they have to be armed. So you have this conflict between the idea and the very title of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee and the reality that to survive in this county, you need to be armed. You need, the white people need to know that the black people have guns so that they know they can't just come in willy-nilly. There's no accident hands. that they talked about black power. Yes, right. So this, is, this idea of the Black Panther spreads across the country and the symbol becomes the Black Panther. They didn't call themselves Black Panthers at the time. So this is 1965. And if you know what, you know, the Voting Rights Act has passed that year, this is when Johnson is considering it and using the power he has as the president to push through the Civil Rights Act. Um, we tend to think of the March on Washington as an inflection point, but really things didn't start to happen until a couple of years later. The film has incredible archival footage, uh, stuff you've never seen before. Interviews uh, with Stokely Carmichael from the time. Um, so I watched this film with great interest because uh, you, you know it, Bill and, and Buzz, that I have been producing a, a film called The Niagara Movement about the battle between W.E.B. Du Bois, Monroe Trotter, and Booker T. Washington on the direction of the Civil Rights Movement in 1905, and that leads to the establishment of the NAACP. So it's one of those major inflection points. This is when the Civil Rights Movement takes a turn and it becomes much more radical pushes much harder for rights, particularly in the courts. But 1965 is a time when the civil rights movement starts to really push more for voting rights and establishing themselves as a power base across the country. So the film is called Lowndes County and the Road to Black Power. It's on Amazon Prime and many other places on the web. Bill, it's 60 years later and we're still fighting to register people of color in this country to vote. Yeah. yeah Lowndes County, Larry, L-O-W-N-D-E-S. 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 Lowndes County and the Road to Black Power by Sam Pollard and Gita Ganbier. Sam Pollard, uh, his name I know, made many, many documentary films. Uh, the film is structured very well. It's very clear. You recognize a lot of the people in it. Um, and as I said earlier to this morning, it's a mystery to me why this film did not get more notice from the members of the Academy. So look it up. Um, and I would say it actually, of, related to the other uh, nominees this year, um, I would prefer to have it in the mix. I think uh, we, we lost out by not having it. 
Okay, we are listening to Cool Films with Larry Hott, our foreign space Emmy award-winning filmmaker, Larry Hott. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be back with more Cool Films right after this. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Voting as well as early voting is the way to go. It shows that we trust the voters. They know why they need an early ballot. They know why they need an absentee ballot. It's not up to government to decide if it's a legitimate reason or not. The voters should get to choose. So this, I think, is a huge advance. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. You want the very best opportunities for your child. Given the amount of time children spend in school each day, you want your child to be inspired, to be engaged, to love going to school. At Bement, each student experiences this every day. The Bement School in Deerfield is a close-knit community of students from around the valley and across the globe. Kindergarten through ninth grade, learning from each other in the classroom, rooting for each other on the athletic field, and celebrating each other on the stage. We are local, we are global, and our differences make us stronger. We interact face-to-face, -face, share meals together every day, and open doors for one another. The true essence of your child's time at Bement is preparing for a life of integrity, of significance, of joy. Financial aid and transportation are available to help make a Bement school education possible. I'm Kim Laughlin, Director of Admission. Please contact me or visit our website. Bement will be the best investment you make in your child's future. In today's competitive hiring environment, job seekers demand stability, competitive salary, generous benefits, work-life balance, and a path to retirement. The Massachusetts Department of Correction can offer all of those things. This is the perfect time to join the team as a correction officer and take advantage of the accelerated hiring process in a career that's challenging yet rewarding and allows one to make a positive difference in the lives of others by providing custody care and support programs for those under supervision. Salaries start at $62,000 and include a pension plan, health, dental, and vision insurance, as well as paid sick, personal, and comp time. Get full pay during your academy training, education pay, tuition reimbursement, and the option of early retirement after 20 years. If you have never considered a career in corrections, now is the perfect time. Apply today at mass.gov doc recruitment. Start your rewarding career at the Massachusetts Department of Corrections. Paid for by the Massachusetts Department of Corrections. Alison Bechdel's graphic memoir, Fun Home, left off the page and onto the Broadway stage. Alison describes her landmark comic strip, Dykes to Watch Out For, as half op-ed column, half serialized Victorian novel. Alison Bechdel will be at Smith Thursday, March 2nd, reading from her new graphic memoir, The Secret to Superhuman Strength. And more, Alison Bechdel, a reading, plus a book signing with the Broadside Bookshop, Thursday, March 2nd at John M. Green Hall at Smith College. It's free. Get tickets online at Smith College Tickets. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. And we continue our conversation with Foreign Space Emmy Award-winning filmmaker Larry Hart. We've been talking about his views of the upcoming Oscars. So, Larry, maybe you could give us some information on the finalists. We're kind of getting down to that point in the year. 
Yes, so the, the maple syrup has been poured in and boiled down to the five nominees for Best Documentary Feature and Best Short Documentary, 39 Minutes and Under. The five for Best Feature starts with, in alphabetical order, All That Breathes, which is a film about brothers in India, uh, New Delhi, who rescue birds, wild birds, and I don't know if that description does it any justice at all, because I think this is one of the most interesting and beautiful films I've ever seen, uh, where these two brothers, they handle these birds as, as, as if each one is a precious gem, and their whole family is involved in this. And they, they don't live, they don't have, in a luxury house. They hardly have any money at all. They are applying for grants around the world. You get to know them and their families and the birds. A, a absolutely wonderful film. So that's an environmental film. All the Beauty and the Bloodshed is a film about Nan Golden, the artist made by Laura Portress, uh, who's won many Oscars already for documentary filmmakers, uh, filmmaking. Um, this is an incredible film, a film that's getting a lot of attention. It's probably the favorite. I'm not saying it's my favorite. I'm not allowed to say that until the vote. But it is definitely the press's favorite, and for good reason, because it's basically two films in one beautifully put together. Uh, she tells the story of Nan Golden, this uh, radical photographer, an artist, and also Nan Golden's fight against the Sackler family and the museums of the world that have rooms named for the Sacklers because they gave so much money. Fantastic film. Fire of Love, film I reviewed a week or so ago on this show. It's a National Geographic story, a love story, about a couple, both volcanologists, who go around the world uh, making films about their work, trying to warn people about the dangers of volcanoes, but also having a lot of fun doing it. It's a great love story, a, rom a romance that has a fiery end. <laughs> I'm not giving away anything there. Um, Spoiler alert. Yeah, uh, They tell you in the first scene that they, that, that they die, but then the rest of the film is wondering, how does that happen? Great film. A House Made of Splinters. Uh, this is a film about a Ukrainian orphanage. I haven't talked about this film yet on the show. Uh, it is a compelling film, although, you know, a, a warning, it is very sad and hard to watch. These poor kids, they're 20 miles from the front, bombs are going off in the background, and their families have just been destroyed um, by the usual, not only by the war, but alcoholism and, and child abuse. And uh, you get to meet not only the kids, but the staff, of course. It's a very well-made well film. And the final one uh, one of the films I watched first when it came out because I was so interested is Navalny. Uh, I, you know, I classified this film as a protest film and a film about authoritarianism. Um, it is a tragedy as well. Uh, here is a man who has sacrificed his life, his family, his wife's life. I mean, she's still alive, but I mean, her life is miserable because of what he has done. He let himself get arrested. Uh, and that story of how he goes back into the clutches of Putin's Russia uh, and how he's still in jail. It's a wonderful story. After having been poisoned and gotten out and, of Russia. Yes, and, and right. And, and he, you know, he survives his poisoning. And the footage is amazing that they have this great interviews with him over time. So you really get to know Navalny and you begin to wonder just what drives somebody like this. So those are the five films that are nominated for Best Documentary Feature. Quick review of the short films. Um, the Elephant Whisperers uh, takes place in India. It's about a family that takes care of elephants. Um, how do you measure a year, which I reviewed here. Uh, a man interviews his daughter every year <laughs> since from the age of two to the age of 18. The Martha Mitchell Effect. What happened to Martha Mitchell, John Mitchell's wife, during the Watergate hearings? 
a stranger at the gate about a man who intends to blow up a, a, a mosque in Indiana and then uh, meets the members of the mosque and becomes friends with them. Uh, and then finally, I think one of my favorite films of this year, Haul Out, which is a 25-minute film with no words spoken at all about a man, a Russian uh, researcher, who's counting the walruses in a haul out. Well, walruses pull out of the, of the water onto land in Siberia. No words at all. And I think this is one of the most beautiful, interesting, compelling films. It's an environmental film. I've, if you've never seen 99,000 walruses together at one time, outside of your cabin when you wake up in the morning, <laughs> you'll see that in this movie, Haul Out. Highly recommended. And these films are all available online? We can watch them all, Larry? Yeah, some of them are, um, they're all over the place. The so New York Times has some of them, uh, Hulu. Uh, you can, now the way it's set up is you can pay to see just about anything. There's paywalls for some of them. Some of them are free if you already have subscriptions to Apple, Amazon Prime, HBO, you, you can see them. It just takes one click. Where can I watch this documentary? And it'll come right up. Okay, I'm gonna leave it there. You have been listening to Cool Films with Larry Hott. For those listening at the end of the day, the end of the afternoon, thank you for being with us. And for those who are here with us in the morning hour, we have another hour of Talk the Talk coming up right after this. Hi. Want to know more about local history, literature, and education? Hilltown Families' bi-monthly Learning Ahead Cultural Itineraries offer an easy way to delve into Western Mass culture and traditions. These new seasonal itineraries are produced in collaboration with a humanities scholar and community education expert, offering ways for self-directed teens and lifelong Live learners and local to engage news and in talk learning for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group Station. It's this is CBS News on the Hour, sponsored by General Steel. I'm Deborah Rodriguez. A huge winter snowstorm is bearing down on the country from west coast to east. Smack dab in the middle, the Twin Cities. St. Paul Mayor Melvin Carter. We are bracing for what is likely to be one of the largest snowstorms in Minnesota history. Meteorologist Craig Allen with our affiliate WCBS. This snow is going to be accompanied by 20 to 40 mile per hour winds, temperatures that will be down in the teens and single digits, and visibilities that will be reduced to near zero with complete whiteout conditions at times for the next day or two. President Biden's wrapped up his three-day trip marking the anniversary of the war in Ukraine with a meeting of the Bucharest Nine. In his final meeting here before Departing for Washington, the president sought to reassure nine Eastern European leaders that the U.S. has made a sacred commitment to their defense. We will defend literally every inch of NATO. Every inch of NATO. A reporter asked the president what he made of Vladimir Putin, saying he would suspend Russia's participation in the New START nuclear arms reduction treaty. Big mistake, Mr. Biden said. Stephen Portnoy, CBS News, Warsaw. The Supreme Court follows yesterday's hearing in the death of a U.S. college exchange student in Paris with a case involving a terrorist attack on a nightclub in Turkey. The plaintiffs claim social media are liable. Legal analyst Thane Rosenbaum. Twitter's position is that it's not enough for them to merely make its platform available to terrorists. 
in order to violate the Anti-Terrorism Act. It has to be aware of a specific act of terrorism that its platform is aiding and abetting. A British-born teenager who joined ISIS will not get her citizenship back. I'm Vicki Barker in London. A special immigration court has just ruled that Shamima Begum, the London schoolgirl who ran off to become an ISIS bride when she was 15, should not have her British citizenship restored. Begum's lawyers argued she was groomed when underage. The British government had argued that, even if that was true, she could still pose a security threat if returned to the UK. The forewoman of a special Georgia grand jury that investigated alleged attempts to overturn the state's 2020 election results has made the unusual move of speaking publicly about who the panel may have recommended for indictments. CNN asked Emily Coors if Americans could expect former President Trump was among them. If they've been following the investigation, I can't see it being a shocker. It's enough to get any dog excited. <laughs> The thought of sticking their head out the car window and lapping up the breeze. One Florida lawmaker wants to make it illegal over safety concerns. Her bill would require them to wear pet seatbelts. This is CBS News. Business owners, General Steel can help save you thousands by owning your own custom-designed buildings. Call 888-98-STEEL or visit GeneralSteel.com. Finding great candidates to hire can be like, well trying to find a needle in a haystack. Sure, you can post your job to some job board, but then all you can do is hope the right person comes along, which is why you should try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com free. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. Its powerful technology identifies people with the right experience and actively invites them to apply to your job. You get qualified candidates fast. So while other companies might deliver a lot of hay, ZipRecruiter finds you what you're looking for the needle in the haystack. Four out of five employers who post a job in ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And right now you can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to this exclusive web address, ziprecruiter.com slash free. That's ziprecruiter.com slash free. ziprecruiter.com slash for WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The mother of a Northampton teen is suing the city for $2.5 million in a wrongful death suit. The mother, who is identified in court documents as Jane Doe, said her daughter was bullied, which caused her to take her own life in 2020. Attorney Laura Mangini tells Western Mass News the girl was subject to two years of pervasive and constant bullying with a student at Northampton High School. The lawsuit alleges the city of Northampton intentionally misclassified it as peer-on-peer conflict, which has a lesser level of necessary response than what it actually was, bullying. In September 2019, the girl was physically assaulted by two students, and the fight was videotaped and sent across social media. Mangini said that in light of the case, her team hopes to see changes in Northampton schools and to hold people accountable. The Coca-Cola bottling plant in Northampton that was previously expected to close this spring will now close at the end of this year. In August 2021, Coca-Cola announced it would be closing the bottling plant that has been under the Coca-Cola name for decades. Former Mayor David Narkowitz said the business was the city's largest manufacturer, water customer, and taxpayer. A spokesperson for the company tells 22 News they have communicated with their employees and will be offering severance. The Center for Human Development will receive a $3 million tax-exempt bond from Mass Development. The nonprofit agency offers programs and services throughout Western Mass. CHD expects to create 250 full-time jobs and 100 part-time jobs in the next three years with these projects. 
Sunshine this morning, clouds this afternoon. Snow arrives after 4 p.m., a high of 38 to 42. Snow mixes with and changes over to sleet and freezing rain tonight. It'll be an icy Thursday morning commute with scattered mixed showers, a high of 34 to 38. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And this is Buzz Eisenberg. And I'm Bill Newman. And welcome, everyone. Um, there was a uh, really important story that was uh, written by Dusty Christensen in NEPM um, for NEPM um, probably about two weeks ago, I think. And it talked about uh, the Holyoke Police Department. Um, and it highlighted a number of things that uh, about uh, citizen complaints not being responded to Um and about problems with the Holyoke Police Department, we then had uh, Mayor Garcia, Josh Garcia, was on the show and told us uh, that he felt that um, the audit that was being ordered, that had been ordered, is going to answer a lot of the questions about the Holyoke Police Department. Um, and now that audit came back, and there's an incredible story uh, in New England public media this morning by uh, independent investigative reporter, Dusty Christensen, who has uh, blessed us here in the studio uh, to talk about the article that he wrote. I just want to read the headline. Audit finds Holyoke Police Department poses substantial risk to the city it serves. Dusty, what a story. Thanks for having me in to talk about it. Yeah, this this audit, uh, or I guess the the technical term that the uh, consultants used was a uh, risk review, uh, was something that was long in the works in Holyoke talks about doing such a review of the department had been percolating when back in March of, I believe it was 2021, um, uh, or maybe it was 2022. I'm, I'm getting my dates uh, confused. But a uh, an officer with the HPD, Rafael Roca, posted a uh, video on social media that went uh, very viral, alleging internal corruption inside the department. Um, uh, it, eventually, as a as a reporter at the Daily Hampshire Gazette at the time, I did a number of stories about uh, overtime in the department and how many of the highest paid officers in the department were working uh, hundreds of hours of overtime and getting paid very handsomely to do so. Um, uh, that was during a uh, a mayoral campaign when now Mayor Joshua Garcia was running against City Councilor Michael Sullivan. Both of them at the time, after our reporting, called for an audit of the department. Um, Garcia said that that such reviews should happen of all city departments, whereas Sullivan was calling specifically for a financial audit of the department. Um, Fast forward to Garcia getting elected, and, and sure enough, he followed through on his promise from the campaign trail to do a review of the department. And uh, just this week, uh, I got my hands on a copy of the final report, which is scheduled to be presented to the city council uh, on March 6th. And uh, the, uh, the people that did the audit... It is a company from New Hampshire, is that right? That's right. Municipal Resources, Inc. They do all sorts of consulting on municipal issues, including uh, police departments. And Dusty, I was reading in the article that I read this morning, um, I see that uh, MRI, that's the Municipal Research uh, Inc., sent a survey of 111 members of the department and only 33 responded. 33, yeah, that's right. They And they did note in the report that that is a low response rate for these kind of surveys when they do them at police departments. 
uh, you know, across the across the region. So I did find that interesting. Those uh, results from that survey of the officers were also interesting. Uh, to to say the least, 69% said they don't believe the department is well managed. I should say 69% of the respondents said they didn't believe the department was well managed. 72% said they don't believe in internal discipline and for policy and rule violations are administered in a fair and consistent consistent way. And a full 66% said they didn't believe they received adequate training in the department. So less than a third responded, but of those that did respond, about 70% found really serious flaws in the way the department's being run. That's right. That's right. Saying it wasn't well managed, that internal discipline isn't done in a fair, consistent way, and that training is is lacking. Given that, Dusty, and in particular, given the low response rate, do these experts who study departments and municipalities across the country, do they think that the results of that survey or those survey in Holyoke actually have statistical validity or do they call into question their own results? It's a good given the low response. It's a good question. I don't think they got into the issue of whether or not these results were statistically uh, valid. They did note that it was a low response rate for these kinds of surveys they do at at various departments. Um, but of course the survey was just part one part of the uh, review, audit, whatever you want to call it. Um, uh, they uh, reviewed uh, the operations of the department, its policies, its training, and and how it's following all those things as well. So it was a much more comprehensive review than just the survey of, of employees. Uh, Dusty, I, I, I couldn't help but be impressed by the quality of your reporting here. And, Thank you. Um, no, seriously, and the fact that you got it um, so quickly and summarized it so quickly, it lists a number of weak points in this uh, conclusion that there's a risk that the department poses to the city it's sworn to serve. And I'm reading uh, from your article right here. There's a quote, absence of governing policy, not adhering to the best practices of the profession in critical areas of law enforcement delivery, uh, terms of collective bargaining agreements and other factors represent a systemic contribution to physical, financial and reputational risk to the police department and the city. It's a really powerful statement. It is. I was surprised by this term that they use substantial risk when talking about uh, the the police department's role in the city. Uh, they mentioned several times throughout the piece that, that um, throughout the review, that some of the police department's policies or, or failure to follow policies um, uh, poses a legal liability for the city. Um, uh, to give some examples, the, the lack of, of annual training uh, when it comes to the use of tasers. Um, it should be noted that Garcia, the mayor, uh, I, I believe, uh, dedicated uh, ARPA funds uh, recently to uh, to buying uh, new tasers for the police department. Um, uh, as well as uh, one of the, they were not able to corroborate this uh, this claim, but in their uh, in one of their sit down sessions with patrol officers, the auditors noted that one of them said that uh, that police officers who are scheduled to do mandated 15 minute checks on on prisoners in inside the department are unable to do so because they also have to man the front desk at the same time. Uh, the auditors say that if, if that statement is indeed true, that pre- presents a substantial legal liability for the city. Did you try to get a comment from either the police chief or the mayor? I did. The police chief did not respond to me, um, which is nothing new uh, with my reporting on the Holyoke Police Department. That's uh, that's that happens every time. Um, uh, the mayor, I believe, was a- out of town and so uh, was not available to uh, to give an interview, to, to be fair to him. 
I have a question about liability, Dusty. And I was struck by your report about the kinds of financial liability that this report indicates the city had. One, for not checking on people who were held in the lockup. Um, what if something happens to that person because they're out doing something else? What about um, misuse of a weapon because there hasn't been training? What about misuse of a taser because there hasn't been training? What of the uh, the liability to the city because of this enormous overtime and lack of uh, personnel and understaffing and all of that. I was also struck by something that I didn't see mention of, and that was whether there are any complaints about or were complaints reviewed by this uh, the, the, this assessment, this risk assessment organization about use of physical force in Holyoke. Because in Springfield, you would have said, well, you know, obviously that's a huge problem. Look what the Department of Justice said. And yet I didn't see any mention of that here. And I was wondering if you saw that, uh, how you saw that. They, you know, they did get into, it was a more than 150 page report. So obviously some of the details that, that are in the, the report uh, ultimately didn't make it into our story, which is less than a thousand words. Um, a use of force policy was something reviewed, but they did not get into specific incidents of use of force uh, in the department's uh, recent past, uh, but they did talk about the need to, to update uh, those policies as well as a whole host of, of other policies within the department. Do you expect there to be substantial reform? Oh, I can't ask you that because you're going to say you're a reporter and you just report and you're not in the policy. <laughs> so I'm going to do both sides of this conversation. Okay. <laughs> What's next? What's next in terms of your reporting? <laughs> uh, you know, that's a that's a great question. This this report, like any uh, you know lengthy report of its kind, uh, raises as many questions I, I think as it as it answers. You know, like I mentioned earlier in this segment. Um, at the time he was running for mayor, uh, at-large city councilor Michael Sullivan was calling specifically for a forensic financial audit of the police department. He had noted that that grant accounts uh, from, from federal and state grants the department had received had been overdrawn consistently. This is a problem the city council has raised numerous times when I've been covering the, the city um, and, and questioned whether federal and state grants were being appropriately overseen. There's, there's one officer within the department who uh, oversees those grants. Some of my previous reporting from the Gazette has shown that he's also the officer who received some of the most overtime uh, hours, the most overtime hours in the entire department, many of which were grant-funded overtime hours. Um, the, the audit does get into some of those issues, saying that they specifically did not conduct a financial audit, and they suggested that the city needs to uh, financially audit its grant practices for the Holyoke Police Department, but also other departments within the city uh, more broadly. They mentioned that there actually was a special audit conducted in, in 1997 that recommended a sort of comptroller position be added to the police department and that that position was indeed added in 2010, but it was short-lived. I don't know what the history is there of why that comptroller position inside the department was short-lived, but there is none now. And the report recommends that bookkeeping duties be taken out of a, an officer's hands and given to a civilian who actually has training in bookkeeping because that's not currently what's happening in the department. Dusty Christensen, I also, I'm sorry, Bill. Go ahead, Bill. I, I, I want, there is a, a statement in your reporting, Dusty, about the very low compared to other departments percentage of patrol officers that are actually on patrol in Holyoke as opposed to doing desk duty in other 
things. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, they, they, they noted uh, that uh, only 64% of designated patrol personnel are actually performing patrol duties. Um, that's compared to around 89% at six other police departments in our state that they found to be comparable to Holyoke. Uh, what does that mean in a practical standpoint? That means that, that patrol officers are doing ancillary duties like evidence oversight, record management, uh, even vehicle maintenance. And as a result, the review found that, uh, that uh, important tasks like traffic enforcement is practically non-existent. It's really powerful. Another thing that I saw in your reporting uh, in this article is that one of the Municipal Research Inc.'s uh, central recommendations is for the police department to pursue accreditation through a program that could provide an outline for achieving organizational excellence. Of course, implicit in that is that they don't achieve organizational excellence and that they need accreditation. You know, I will say that a lot of uh, local police departments have pursued this option. I, I know Northampton Police Department is one of them. I believe the most recent would be South Hadley, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, uh, this is a this is a step that uh, that people who believe in police reform uh, suggest are, are, is a way for police departments to have some kind of uh, accountability uh, in upholding their own policies and making sure those policies are following uh, best practices within the industry. So uh, some police departments locally have taken that step. They've separated from, uh, they've also separated from the Massachusetts Civil Service Commission. Um, it was created in the late 1800s to sort of avoid patronage in hiring and promotion within police departments. But um, in more recent years, there's uh, there's uh, been uh, suggestions that it makes it very difficult to discipline officers for, uh, for misconduct. And uh, many local departments uh, and, and departments around the state have, have gone for accreditation and separating from that civil service commission as well so that they have more flexibility when it comes to hiring, firing, and promotion. Bill, um, when when Mayor Josh Garcia was on the show, I think a, a week and a half ago, I think it was on a Monday, um, you specifically uh, asked him a question that resulted in a response. He said, we're waiting for an audit. Did he say what he intends to do after that audit is done? Uh, that's a good question. I know he's presenting this to the city council on March 6th. Um, I, I remember in his interview with you all, he had mentioned accreditation. So perhaps that's uh, an indication that that's a step that, step that he's interested in taking uh, as mayor. Um, but I guess all eyes will be on, on him and the, the city city council and, and other community groups as we wait to see what comes next after this, after this report. Is it the city council or is it the public safety committee of the city council? It will um, it will go initially to the public safety committee of the city council. Uh, that that is what the March sixth uh, meeting is. But eventually, uh, presumably, the the full city council will discuss it as well. Yeah, let me ask you this because the mayor did say, as Buzz as as, as Buzz just alluded to, I was asking him about your your report, Dusty, uh, and specifically about uh, civilian complaints about the police department that overwhelmingly result in nothing happening for one reason or another. But nothing, ha you can take it to the bank. If you complain about the Holyoke police, nothing will happen to your complaint, statistically, based on the data that you receive for your public records request. That's right. And what I, what, and what I wanted to know from the mayor was whether or not he thought there was a systemic problem in the Holyoke police not making forms available so people could make complaints, not being able to make anonymous uh, 
complaints, not being able to actually have their complaints heard, Holyoke police not recognizing that a complaint has been made and so on and so on. And he referred to this audit that was upcoming and said that there would be, that would, this audit itself would shed some light on all of that. Has this audit shed some light on all of that? Uh, it, you are correct in, in saying that our investigation found that, that the department uh, almost never, very rarely disciplines uh, officers over, over a 10-year period when it came to civilian complaints. This section on uh, internal affairs, which is what these internal investigations are called, and uh, and civilian complaints is very short within this review, probably half a page out of 150 pages. But it does uh, criticize a, a policy the Holyoke Police Department has requiring civilians to sign a complaint against an officer uh, in order to have it investigated. Uh, best practice, as we identified in that investigation, and as this report investigates as well, is to investigate all such complaints, even if they're made uh, over the phone, over online, and even anonymously. If made anonymously. That's I right. I mean, if you're complaining about the police, you're fearful that there's right. going to be reprisal, and right. you should be able to have an investigation ensue if you make an allegation where you're afraid to say your name. That's right. That's right. Yes. Bill, I think we're going to take a break. Um, we're so grateful that Dusty Christensen is here. This is a really important story. It's breaking. It's literally breaking news. And um, we are going to be back with Dusty right after these messages. Stay with us. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Hearing the verdict and hearing the words racial animus were extremely painful for, certainly for myself and for the women and men of the Greenfield Police Department who really do go to work every day to serve the people of Greenfield. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. February is National Bird Feeding Month, and Weinzick Nursery on Route 9 in Hadley is your bird feeding headquarters. Weinzick Nursery has a healthy selection of bird seed, feeders, suet, and more. Use multiple feeders with different seeds like black oil sunflower seed, thistle seed, and fruit and nut blends to attract a variety of birds like cardinals, tufted titmice, eastern bluebirds, and cedar waxwings. Hang suet feeders for flickers and woodpeckers. Birds have it tough in the winter, but Weinzick Nursery makes it easy for you to feed them and keep squirrels at bay with squirrel-proof feeders and baffles. Visit Weinzick Nursery on Route 9 in Hadley for all of your bird feeding needs and explore our new gift shop and houseplant boutique while you're here. Weinzick Nursery Hadley and WeinzickNursery.com. Weinzick Nursery on Route 9 in Hadley. We are the growers. Come to the source. Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's Shop Friday the Blue Heron? Correct! They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. The Blue Heron, the restaurant in the grand old town hall building in the center of Sunderland. Good food, good service, an ever-changing menu, and a signature martini you'll come back for again and again. There's nothing quite like the Blue Heron. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. And we continue our conversation with independent investigative reporter Dusty Christensen. 
whose new report, second in a what I think is going to be a series on the Holyoke Police Department, uh, has just been uh, released. Dusty, when you were with the Gazette, which was uh, a substantial part of your career, you wrote uh, investigative pieces about the Amherst Police Department, about the Northampton Police Department, about the East Hampton Police Department. You've now written extensively about the Holyoke Police Department. And we have underscored, because it's what your report is about, shortcomings in this assessment, this risk assessment of, of the Holyoke Police Department. What I'd like to know is, based on your reporting, how does the Holyoke Police Department stack up against these other departments Obviously, Holyoke's in the Klieg lights today, but do they deserve this, uh, this, this, this kind of criticism that obviously is going to come along with this report compared with other departments? You know, it's a great question. Uh, I think that as a reporter, my focus is always on uh, critically and and uh, and aggressively covering uh, powerful people and institutions. And in any of our local communities, whether it be the ones you just mentioned or uh, or Greenfield or you know name uh, name whatever town, Pittsfield, Springfield, um, the police departments are often the uh, the city departments with the largest budgets. They are, of course, the only city department that has a right to uh, uh, deprive you of your liberty or, or God forbid, uh, your health and life even, uh, as we've seen in, in places like Springfield and, and Pittsfield uh, uh, very recently. So I think all of these departments are, uh, are should be subjects of, of strict uh, of, of, of scrutiny from uh, local journalists. I think, unfortunately, that a lot of local uh, journalists and, and news organizations do uh, don't give that kind of scrutiny, uh, you know, to to police departments in the same way that they give it to to other uh, institutions. Why do you think that is? You know, it's a great question. I, I think I think in some I think across the country, this is not unique to Western Massachusetts. You know, news outlets have seen their staffs cut. Uh, they've seen investigative reporting go away because it's expensive. It takes time to do, and so you know, as a result. The stories that get published in a lot of news outlets tend to be the kind of easy to get stories. And what's easier to get than rewriting a press release from a local police department about about crime in the community? Um, it, I, you know, I I have to say that. That as reporters, we are taught, you know, never to just rewrite a press release and to unquestioningly uh, reprint the accusations of of a whole host of people. But when it comes to the police department, a lot of local news outlets do exactly that. They they print these uh, police logs where they uh, don't even reach out to the person accused of a crime and just print the allegations from their arrest and the police report uh, uh, directly in the newspaper without ever reaching out to a defense attorney or to the to the person themselves. Um, and so, yeah, I think I, for whatever reason, uh, you know, the police departments enjoy a level of um, immunity from digging that other institutions don't from from uh, journalists. So, uh, as you've mentioned, a lot of my career has been uh, trying to do the opposite. But back to my question, Dusty, on whether or not the Holyoke Police Department compares unfavorably to the other departments that you've mentioned, including uh, Springfield and Greenfield and Pittsfield. Of course, in Pittsfield, there was tragic death in the last year or so. Um, and, and, and Amherst and East Hampton, I mean, you've looked at a lot of departments. Um, there's going to be a lot of criticism of the Holyoke Police Department, and I'm wondering whether or not um, this is going to be warranted in comparison 
to and with those other departments. I will say in some cases, like for example, Holyoke uh, took a, a full year and a half to get back to me with these records, whereas all three of those, uh, or I should say two of those other departments, uh, Amherst and Northampton, gave me citizen complaints uh, for free and very quickly. Um, the East Hampton Police Department uh, uh, said that they were going to give them to us for free, said on your show, uh, Mayor LaChapelle, that she was going to uh, change the fact that they had been trying to charge us hundreds of dollars uh, at the Gazette. She never did that. We ended up having to pay hundreds of dollars for those uh, documents at the end of the day. Um, so I, I think that, you know... Today, of course, like you say, it is the Holyoke Police Department that's kind of under criticism. But a lot of these local departments uh, have some of the same policies or had uh, that have come under criticism from uh, from these auditors in, in Holyoke. You know, as just one example, uh, a couple of these local departments, I think Amherst and East Hampton, uh, at least if I'm remembering, uh, like many departments across the state, had a policy until the police reform bill of 2020 passed where if somebody came in to complain in the lobby uh, about a police officer, the desk officer there could could informally handle that complaint and try to resolve it in person with that person immediately. Uh, obviously, uh, people have, have, uh, have said that that is... Um, you know, not a, that can potentially be a way to cover up or to or to try to push away civilian complaints. And Doesn't so now, result in a serious investigation. Exactly. So now they're uh, under the the new law. Uh, departments are required to track those complaints as well that are resolved in the lobby and not just sort of uh, you know sweep them away with no evidence of them having ever been complained. So. Um, so a lot of these departments definitely deserve criticism. You know, I will say that the very first story I did on these civilian complaints was about Northampton. And, uh, you know, at the time, I think the mayor uh, uh, felt that it was a bit unfair to Northampton because they had been the most transparent of the four departments we had requested these files from. And so therefore, they came under scrutiny first. Um, you know, uh, I think that that's, uh, that's totally fair. It's, it's, it's a fault of the public records law and our inability as, as journalists to get these records more so than than us picking on one particular department. And they were um, considered to be personnel records, which are protected by statute, yeah. and now they are not. Correct. Correct. Which is huge. So getting just getting back to the audit, the so-called risk review by Municipal... Um, Resources, Inc. Thank you, Municipal Resources, Inc. So what's the next step? March 6th, this report gets sort of submitted by the mayor. I mean, I'm sure they'll have read it before that, the Public Safety Committee of the... Of the council, uh, yes, right? I'm. I'm sure. I'm sure all the councilors have been given a copy of the of the report, uh, and I imagine they'll read through all the pages. I, I certainly hope they do. I sure did. It's you know, it's it's 150 plus pages long. There's all kinds of little interesting details, uh, you know, uh, including you know some sort of graphs uh, detailing what the survey results showed from officers and individual comments from officers about uh, strife within the department. Um, uh, you know, sort of uh, internal uh, back and forths going on between management and uh, and patrol officers, uh, as well as, uh, you know, sort of the kind of bickering that goes on in any workplace. So let, give us a little peek behind the curtain. What do you do as an investigative reporter who's tracking this story? What do you think the next steps are going to be for you? You know, I was I was intrigued by two details here. And if anybody's listening and has more information, uh, by all means, contact me. I'm on Twitter at DustyC123. I can tell you how to, how to anonymously and confidentially uh, contact me uh, uh, there. But um, but uh, 
I uh, was very interested to learn uh, that the uh, police department does not use a request for proposal bidding process or engage with established Massachusetts bidding program for its equipment. Uh, I thought that was really interesting. I, you know, who knows if there's anything there? I, I'll definitely be digging into that a little bit more. You know, I'm also kind of curious to know uh, what kind of conversations went on between these reviewers and the and the police department and the city as this review was was ongoing. Um, and uh, I'm very curious to know whether there was. Uh, I know there was a draft of the report maybe presented at the city hall before the final report. I'm curious to know what changes got made between the draft and the final report. These are the kinds of things that just routinely as investigative reporters we dig into as as watchdogs. They could ultimately never result in a story because there's nothing there, but uh, you don't know unless you try. Bill? In the world of, I shouldn't be asking this and you're not going to answer it, but maybe you will. Um, how does it happen that you end up with this report. What might you be willing to share about that, how it came into your hands? Um, I was expecting for something to be revealed on March 6th in front of the committee, the Public Safety Committee, the City Council, um, or maybe that's not much of a story, but I thought I should ask. You know, uh, as as a reporter, the minute I started becoming a local reporter, birds just started flying in my windows with tips and documents <laughs> and all sorts of things. It's, uh, you know, sort of... Uh, 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 it's it's a strange thing. Oh, wait, that I'm looking outside. Dusty, your car's being towed. <laughs> yeah, of course. I'm not going to comment on how I get my hands on any particular thing. Uh, uh, the only comment I'll make is uh, what happens, what appears ultimately in in um, in the stories that I report. This is Dan. I want to hear someday from you about uh, what uh, what you can tell us about Pegasus and how that's being used against journalism <laughs> in the future. I, I don't I think most people know what that is, but it's a it's an app that's being used by very powerful uh, states against local journalists and producing. Yeah, I, you know, uh, technology inevitably comes with uh, the ability of, of folks to pry into your communications and, you know, a paper trail of sorts. So uh, if you ever want to send me documents, uh, send them via U.S. mail. There is laws against tampering with U.S. mail. Uh, or come knock on my door. I'm always free to, uh, to have visitors. <laughs> So say it again, your Twitter, people can contact you at DustyC123. That's right. And I'm at, uh, my email address is dchristensen at protonmail.com. That's D-C-H-R-I-S-T-E-N-S-E-N at protonmail.com. That is an encrypted email address. uh, So you can contact me very anonymously there. Well, Bill. I would just like to call you up and say, hi, it's Bill. Could we talk? <laughs> <laughs> I'm always down to talk with you, too. I, I feel like uh, I feel like uh, lawyers, uh, librarians and reporters are all cut from the same cloth. Re- researchers and, and folks uh, looking to uh, to uh, hold people accountable. Well, and you do it so very well. And uh, we're so grateful that we uh, have Dusty Christensen here in this region to keep us um, uh, informed. Thanks so much. Those things which we have deserve, we all deserve to know more about. Dusty, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for your work in the Holyoke Police Department, and I can't wait to read the next installment. (laughs) I'll be sure to be on the minute it comes out. (laughs) Okay. We're going to take a break. We appreciate it, Dusty. Thank you, Bill. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about a wonderful book about Roberto Clemente and about the fact that Florida is banning such books. We'll be right back after these More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP.
For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The mother of a Northampton teen is suing the city for $2.5 million in a wrongful death suit. The mother, who is identified in court documents as Jane Doe, said her daughter was bullied, which caused her to take her own life in 2020. Attorney Laura Mangini tells Western Mass News the girl was subject to two years of pervasive and constant bullying with a student at Northampton High School. The lawsuit alleges the city of Northampton intentionally misclassified it as peer-on-peer conflict, which has a lesser level of necessary response than what it actually was, bullying. In September 2019, the girl was physically assaulted by two students, and the fight was videotaped and sent across social media. Mangini said that in light of the case, her team hopes to see changes in Northampton schools and to hold people accountable. The Coca-Cola bottling plant in Northampton that was previously expected to close this spring will now close at the end of this year. In August 2021, Coca-Cola announced it would be closing the bottling plant that has been under the Coca-Cola name for decades. Former Mayor David Narkowitz said the business was the city's largest manufacturer, water customer, and taxpayer. A spokesperson for the company tells 22 News they have communicated with their employees and will be offering severance. The Center for Human Development will receive a $3 million tax-exempt bond from Mass Development. The nonprofit agency offers programs and services throughout Western Mass. CHD expects to create 250 full-time jobs and 100 part-time jobs in the next three years with these projects. Sunshine this morning, clouds this afternoon. Snow arrives after 4 p.m., a high of 38 to 42. Snow mixes with and changes over to sleet and freezing rain tonight. It'll be an icy Thursday morning commute with scattered mixed showers, a high of 34 to 38. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. It's your home for the resistance. Tom Hartman, weekdays at noon. Get informed, then get involved. I'm Tom Hartman from the Tom Hartman Program. Intelligent talk, opinion, and debate. Join me every weekday, noon to 3, right here on WHMP. 1015, 1400, and 1240. WHMP. Did you know that you can prevent domestic and sexual violence? You can say something. We all can say something. Together, we can do so much. Say Something is the domestic and sexual violence prevention program at Safe Passage. Join a prevention lab to build your skills and find opportunities to say something to prevent violence. Join us and help make your community safe and healthy for everyone. Get more information or sign up for a prevention lab at saysomethingnow.org. If you plan to take a long trip for spring break, don't put off booking your flights. Travel experts at Hopper told Consumer Affairs that 60% of travelers expect to spend $500 or more on their trip this year. Another 33% plan to spend over $1,000. Airfares will soon be going up. Have a tax question? The IRS is encouraging taxpayers to utilize online tax resources rather than calling the IRS phone lines. The tax agency says it has increased support personnel. However, it expects an increase in calls and says checking IRS.gov first may be advisable. Columbus Trading Partners USA is recalling certain Cybex models Anton, Anton Q, Anton M, Anton 2, and Cloud Q rear-facing infant car seats. The design of the webbing for the central seatbelt adjuster allows it to fray, reducing its strength. I'm Mark Huffman. Learn more at ConsumerAffairs.com. 
You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. And welcome back. This is Buzz Eisenberg. I, I wanted to uh, introduce our um, one guest we're very familiar with and another guest we're about to meet. I'm just meeting myself, but I want to harken back to 1966, to April 12th. Um, I was the bat boy for the Atlanta Braves when they moved from Milwaukee to Atlanta. Their first introductory game was against the Pittsburgh Pirates. It was April 12th, 1966. I'll never forget it because here we have a new Fulton County Stadium being opened up to 50,000 screaming people. I'm a bat boy. It went 13 innings. <laughs> At the 13th inning, what happened is uh, the incredible Roberto Clemente gets on base and Willie Stargell hits him home and we lose 3-2 to two despite uh, Joe Torre's two home runs. During that series and during subsequent series in 66 and 67, I had the incredible privilege. I'm living in Atlanta. Dr. Uh, Martin Luther King is flourishing in Atlanta at the time, and I'll just talk about civil rights, and here we have Roberto Clemente speaking up about uh, Puerto Ricanos and about uh, racism and civil rights movement. So it, when I read about your book, Raul Colon, uh, I was incredibly moved, and to talk to us about it is Rich Michelson, and what we're going to talk about is this incredible book and the images that it contains, but also the fact that it's been, take a deep breath, banned in Florida. Well, Buzz, uh, it's good to be here, and hi, Bill, from long distance. Um, I am absolutely thrilled that my good friend Raul Colon has joined us today. Uh, Raul has been a major presence in uh, our Michelson galleries for many years. I'm happy to say that he and I did a book together as well, and uh, a book about Martin Luther King. Uh, so you mentioned that. Uh, and uh, we right now have a small exhibit up of Raul's uh, in the gallery. And that includes some original work from his book, Roberto Clemente, Pride of the Pittsburgh Pirates, which was published, what did we just uh, ascertain? 2000, I think it was 2005. 2005. Uh, and, but, uh, but we've seen a spike in sales recently, Raul. <laughs> so lunch is on I you uh, today. <laughs> and we've seen a spike in sales uh, because uh, this book was recently banned in Florida. And um, along with Buzz, I should say, a book on Hank Aaron. Um, another children's book. These are books that are aimed towards about uh, second through fourth grades. Um, and when I first heard that this book was banned, um, I was astounded. I read it again, and I couldn't figure out what the problem was. Uh, I read through it a few times. The book is by Jonah Winter. It is uh, illustrated by Raul Colon. I'll hold, off, I'll hold up one of your beautiful illustrations. People can come to the gallery and see it. And it took me a few times reading through uh, to realize why they would have banned this. And I'm just going to read like two lines here, which is basically it, folks. Um, there was something that would have made Roberta's joy a little sweeter. This is after he hits a home run. As much as fans loved him, the newspaper writers did not. When Roberta was in such pain he couldn't play, they called him lazy. They mocked his Spanish accent, and when Roberta got angry, the white newsman called him a Latino hothead. So, um, boy, uh, is that, that's something that uh, obviously third and fourth graders should not be, um, should not be uh, you know, come across um, to find out that life is not perfect. Uh, so when you got this book and were told to illustrate it, uh, 
did you see anything in it that was political that you were tell us about how this came about to you well um as usual um illustrators who illustrate our children's books uh, the editor usually calls you and sent or sends you a manuscript and obviously uh and short some of my edit editor for this book and she sent me the uh, manuscript that jonah winter who's the writer of this uh story uh had submitted to her and you know, she almost knew that I was going to say yes to this. <laughs> so, uh, because I, when you were growing up in Puerto Rico, uh, did you know Clemente? I saw him play. You saw I him? saw him play live. And um, uh, I, had, I lived in the States, but uh, we had moved to Puerto Rico, so I could see him in winter ball over there. He, he always played winter ball a lot of, many times. And I could see him close up, too. So it was <laughs> really a, a treat. He was the enemy, though, because uh, I was on uh, the, uh, the other um, star that I supported was Cepeda, mm-hmm. who was on the, the opposite team. Orlando Cepeda. <laughs> Orlando Cepeda. And uh, so I like Cepeda. I didn't want Clemente to beat my team. But, <laughs> <laughs> but obviously, he was a great player. So I saw him play. I always loved the way he played. And it was almost funny the way he ran bases. It was. He looked a lot like Jackie Robinson. I've seen some film of Jackie Robinson uh, playing and running. And uh, he almost ran like him, but he had a style that it was like somebody well, the wrote. other thing that famously what he did is after he swung, he already was in motion running. Exactly. Oh. It, it, there was no break between no the break. swing and the taking off was, of first base. He was fast. He could steal. Well, he was a five-tool player. He could steal bases. He could hit home runs if he wanted. He could hit, um, you know, for average, which he won four batting titles. So he, he was a great outfield, player. And the way he played the outfield. The outfield and the right arm, his, I mean his arm, which in the book you will learn he was, well, I learned it doing research. He used to throw the javelin for the um, a team, for the Olympic team, Puerto Rican Olympic team. So he, he had, had a, a great arm, cannon, cannon and accurate. Because yeah. other players <laughs> have had great arms. His was right there. Always on home plate. If you threw the home plate or a third base, so when you got out. this book, did you see so, anything controversial about it? Well, that's the thing. I all I thought of was his greatness, and obviously I knew he went through struggles, like anybody um, in those days did, in ball players or anybody. And he was. Yeah, I grew up in the, during the civil rights movement, so right. I knew things like this happened. So that was part of the uh, deal. That's part of uh, American history. Wow. I mean, that's what it is. It's American history, and he was part of it. He's an American who went through that. And um, that's all I saw, the, the beauty of him playing and the fact that he was a hero, that he faced all any adversities and that he had to humble himself also. And uh, it, it was it. That was a story. It was a positive thing for children to see. And, and I've gotten letters and... Uh, awards and everything uh, concerning the book and the illustrations mm-hmm. and the story by Jonah, like I said, because our children and teachers have appreciated. And for the first 15 and plus years this was out, did you get any negative comments? Did anybody, I mean, was this totally out of the blue to find out this children's book is suddenly banned? Uh, yes, that was crazy. That was a crazy thing, and um, but it, no, it was a positive book all all the way around. Like I said, 
Um, children even had clubs and things like that that I remember based on the book. And they, they did activities mm-hmm. through all those years. And the fact that the book still is selling, you know, after all these years, uh, children's books uh, don't necessarily stick around forever. They have to be classics. So it, it's, it shows that it still resonates today. Mm-hmm. It resonates. And Clemente, of course, was known um, not only for his baseball prowess, but for his good works, giving back to the community. Um, and in fact, he died on such a mission. Right, and in the book, it's in the book also. Right. It's a children's book, but you know, it doesn't hide from the fact that he died trying to help other people. And there's a Roberto Clemente Award right now in, in the major leagues, which is a major award for any player who, uh, you know, has the kind of spirit that he had, you know, with with charity and helping others. So you can win an award for that, and it's in his name. Mm-hmm. And so um, I do want to tell the audience uh, that when we scheduled this interview uh, with you, Buzz and Bill, that uh, we were talking about the book Band. Um, as of yesterday, it is back on the shelves. I um, didn't know so that. So people's voices were heard. Um, there were many, many books banned in Florida, including some by our local uh, illustrators as well. Grace Lynn uh, was on that list as well. But the two books that were put back from that list were Roberta Clemente and Hank Aaron's Dream. So... Um, so the uh, the two ball players <laughs> with the big names got um, so much press and so much pushback that we're told that uh, that they were now approved. The Florida uh, board went back to read them and approved them. They might not be back on the shelves yet. This we don't know. Nobody's seen them on the shelves, um, but uh, your voice can be heard. And the pushback uh, was such that even uh, Governor Ron DeSantos uh, claims now that it was just a prank to get publicity, but these books were never meant to be banned. Well, there were over one million banned. books included in that prank. Yes. I, I can't believe they read a million books. Bill and I were talking about that <laughs> before we went on, but that were included in the ban. Um, and I, it's, it's a little bit tangential. I just want to tell you that back when I was Bat Boy, and uh, uh, what we would see, we had, I think we had four African Americans on, on the Mac Jones, Felipe Alou, uh, Matty Alou was playing yep. with Roberto Clemente at the time. Yes. But yes. W- I think we had four blacks, and I think Pittsburgh was about the same. This was not that long after Jackie Robinson, right. 1965, 66. Uh, but what always happened with every other team, um, uh, the teams would be to get, like the Braves would hang out with the Braves. The blacks would hang out with the blacks across uniforms, right? right. So that Robert, I saw Roberto and Hank Aaron, whenever we played them, they would be together talking in the outfield and just catching up with each other because there really was a segregated mm-hmm. feeling. They, right. No matter how how great they were as ballplayers, they were always 
defined by their color. Well, if, if we can be tangential before the break, I'm going to be tangential because this is one of the great thrills of my life. Um, I wrote a book called Littman Pike, American's First Home Run King, which is about the very first Jewish superstar um, and uh, who has been written out of the history books. And the reason he was written out of the history books was because Spalding Sporting Goods which started in the late 1800s, decided to promote baseball as an all-American sport. And at that time, the main superstar was Jewish, which did not fit their um, PR campaign. So basically, they wrote him out of the history books. Um, I wrote a book about that. And um, a few summers ago, I was on Martha's Vineyard in the summer. Uh, where Hank Aaron was uh, speaking, and uh, he went into a bookstore and picked up that book, and I have a picture for proof of Hank Aaron reading Littman Pike, America's First Home Run King. I went up and introduced myself. He was absolutely lovely, and uh, we had a nice chat, and I will... Uh, I'll post a picture on my site. It's we'll incredible. All say Hank Aaron. There we go. My picture so. is of Hank Aaron telling me to shine his shoes. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be back. We're talking about this uh, wonderful book, uh, Roberto Clemente, Pride of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, we have the illustrator Raul Colon with us, and um, we're so glad to hear that after being banned in Florida, that book is back. We'll be back with Rich Michelson and Raul Colon right after these messages. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. I'm Lisa Riley. Join me every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on WHMP as we share stories that shine a light on justice-involved individuals or just underdogs in the game of life, their struggles, their successes, and the many resources and opportunities available for those who are hustling to carve a new path and prove that failure isn't final. So unlock your future, rewrite your story. This is The Hustler Files. Come on over to the co-op, the Greenfield Cooperative Bank. Hi, I'm Jay Sealer, Vice President Commercial Lending at Greenfield Cooperative Bank and its Northampton Co-op Bank Division. Our team of commercial lenders are here to help you and your business grow this year. I'm Maura Guzik, Vice President Commercial Lending. We're a small business administration preferred lender, and all of our lenders at the co-op have individual lending authority, which means fast local decisions so you can get back to business. I'm Adam Baker, Vice President Commercial Lending. Are you ready to chat with one of our experienced local lenders? Visit bestlocalbank.com or meet with us in person at any of our Franklin or Hampshire County locations. Or if it's more convenient, we'll even meet you at your business. So come on over to the co-op and see me, Jay Sealer. Or me, Maura Guzik. Or me, Adam Baker. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender, member FDIC, member DIF. You can count on your friends at the co-op. You want the very best opportunities for your child. Given the amount of time children spend in school each day, you want your child to be inspired, to be engaged, to love going to school. At Bement, each student experiences this every day. The Bement School in Deerfield is a close-knit community of students from around the valley and across the globe. Kindergarten through ninth grade, learning from each other in the classroom, rooting for each other on the athletic field, and celebrating each other on the stage. We are local, we are global, and our differences make us stronger. 
We interact face-to-face, -face, share meals together every day, and open doors for one another. The true essence of your child's time at Bement is preparing for a life of integrity, of significance, of joy. Financial aid and transportation are available to help make a Bement school education possible. I'm Kim Laughlin, Director of Admission. Please contact me or visit our website. Bement will be the best investment you make in your child's future. Push, push, come on, one more. Let's go, go, go. Is this your idea of personal training? If so, you've got it all wrong. Or perhaps we've got it all right at Fitness Together, where we meet you where you are to get you where you want to be. Fitness Together trainers help you reach your goal at any fitness level, even despite ailments and physical limitations. So don't let a misconception keep you from having the energy to do what you love. Learn how you can get it together at Fitness Together Amherst or Northampton. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Rich Michelson. Raul, so it's absolutely great. I do want to invite the local audience uh, to come to our Michelson Galleries. We have a wonderful exhibit of your work out yet. They can see the Roberto Clemente piece. They can see many of your other books. Uh, they can see the work from the book we did together, As Good as Anybody, Martin Luther King and Abraham Joshua Heschel's Amazing March Towards Freedom, because those pieces were all purchased not that long ago uh, by George Lucas. A name rings a bell for his new museum, which he's opening up. Um, and uh, you'll be able to go there and see it. Also, for those people who summer on Martha's Vineyard, you'll be able to see an exhibit of Raoul's this summer in July at the um, Featherstone Center for the Arts, where there will be an exhibit of Latino illustrators. Um, mention a couple of your other books for people to get what's what's new what's uh what's out there well um i like them to um remember there's a that um the book that um uh i've i've actually illustrated there are two books draw and imagine which are Two of the wordless picture books. Two of the classics of, uh, classics of children's literature. I think everybody will say that. Uh, they're books you both wrote, even though they're wordless and uh, illustrated. Raul, it's absolutely a pleasure to have you here. Welcome to Northampton. We're As it is for you, today. Rich Michelson. So for those of you who have been listening in the morning, thank you so much for spending your time with us. For those who are listening in the afternoon, coming up right after the news, another full hour of Talk to Talk, which will include cool films with Larry Hott, the award-winning filmmaker and sex educator, Jane Fleischman. Thank you for joining us today. This is Talk the Talk. Sunday mornings on WHMP means polka. Celebrate the Valley's proud Polish heritage with Polka Carousel. Every Sunday morning from 8 till noon, TZ brings his award-winning Polka Carousel to the airwaves of the Valley, playing the polka classics and the latest polka hits. There are polka hits? It's Polka Carousel every Sunday morning from 8 till noon on 101.5, 1400, and 1240. WHMP. Live and local news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group Station. It's 11 o'clock.